0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 13 and following. Matthew 14. Last week we looked at two pictures of unbelief. This week we're looking at two pictures of belief or faith. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather somebody tell you how to do something or show you how to do something? Yeah, I'd rather somebody show me. If I have my preference, I'd rather they do both. Tell me and then show me. (laughs) And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. Jesus has taught up to this point. He, he taught the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters worth of teaching. And now he's really showing. He is demonstrating, illustrating what he has taught them back there. So we're looking at two pictures of faith. And really the song uh, that Jenny and Harper sang, just trust in the Lord. That's what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. And quite honestly, they're still struggling getting it. Now, before we point too many fingers at them, we're struggling too. So this morning is also for us to understand what it really means to have faith in God, to trust Him, to believe that His promises are true and real, and to believe that He knows exactly what's going on in our life. And He's able to solve the issues that we're struggling with. Let me begin by reading verses 13 and following just through 21 to get this first picture Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowd away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only here five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. The first picture that Jesus wants them to get is to understand that He is compassionate to the needy. Interesting story. The feeding of the 5,000. Familiar story. It should be familiar. If you've ever read a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll find this. It's, in fact, it's the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I think it's real important. Here's the story. Here's the context. We looked last week at the fact that John the Baptist has been beheaded, probably in the town of Tiberias, which is where Herod had his palace. We think Jesus probably never went to Tiberias, and there's reasons for that. But he had spent time all around the rest of the Sea of Galilee. If you want to picture the Sea of Galilee, it, its they say that it's a heart. It looks kind of like... A harp. It's about 8 miles wide and about 13 or 14 miles long from top to bottom. They're up right now on about the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is tired. He's weary. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been healing people. He's also been having to deal with opposition. In fact, the further we get into Matthew's account, the more we see the opposition that he's having from the religious leaders who are plotting to kill him. But he's also just gotten news that John has been executed, murdered. And so a mixture of just pure weariness and grief, Jesus wants to withdraw from the crowd. And so he's trying to find a desolate place. He's trying to get away from it all because he really needs to spend some time recharging and praying and fellowshipping with the Father, which is stuff we need to be doing. There's only one problem. The people heard... Where he was. And so they, by foot, Jesus is in a boat heading over, he thought, to a desolate place. They hear about it. So all these little villages, little fishing villages typically, that dot all around the Sea of Galilee, they're coming. How many were there? Scholars think perhaps as many as 25,000. And you say, wait a minute, I thought this was the feeding of the 5,000. It's real clear, they just counted the men. Not counting the women and children. So women probably came with their husbands or their parents or their brothers and the children with them, it could have been as many as 25,000 people. Just imagine you're Jesus sailing across the Sea of Galilee and you start seeing as you get closer to the shore, from every direction seems like just crowds are coming. And he doesn't do the human thing. I think the human thing might be to turn the boat around. You know, my human thing would be to roll my eyes and go, oh, where are these people coming from? I'm, I, I'm, Get out! But he doesn't do that. When he sees the large crowd, he feels compassion for them. And that's really the picture we see throughout the Gospels of Jesus. He's, he sees people in need, and it moves him. In fact, the word literally means to have the bowels yearn. In ancient culture, they thought the emotions were controlled in our stomach. I, I know some of you think that too. Like when it gets about, about noon, you start getting hungry, your emotions are controlled by your stomach. That's not where it is, but that's why they use this word. He was literally moved to the very depths of his being. And it says he started healing their sick. So keep in mind, these thousands of people that are coming, they're not just coming to hear a sermon. They're bringing sick people with them. They're carrying people. They're walking with people that need a touch from Jesus. And so the first thing you see is Jesus had compassion for the needy. Quite often, his disciples didn't feel the same way. At times, they were saying, Why don't you send these people away? Why don't we keep these people away from Jesus? And he always said, No, bring them to me. Let the little children come. In this case, let the sick come. Because they needed a touch from Jesus. But here's the next thing Jesus is trying to teach his disciples not only is he a compassionate God, but he uses people to meet the needs. When it's evening, his disciples come to him. And one thing you've got to understand, this is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So some of what I'm going to tell you is I'm bringing information from other Gospels. Philip has already gone to Jesus when he sees the crowd the first time and says, we're not going to be able to feed these people. And Jesus has already indicated, no, we'll take care of feeding them. And Philip's thinking about, it. we don't have enough money. It would cost 200 days' wages just to get a little bit just to satisfy this crowd so Jesus not only feels compassion, but Jesus is going to use the disciples to meet the needs of the people. This place is desolate. The hour is late. So here's the advice from the disciples. Send them away. Of course, I'm thinking, they've come from all these villages, cities. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in a desolate place. That's where Jesus was heading. Where are 25,000 people going to get something to eat? You don't just hit a drive through at this point in time around the Sea of Galilee. In fact, probably a lot of the merchants and cooks were here. So where are you going to go? And I think for the disciples is, it doesn't matter where they go, just don't let them stay here. Just send them away. Not caring that these people are hungry. And if we send them away, it's night. They're not going to get anything to eat. And so Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, it's interesting because later he is going to send them away. But what's Jesus trying to do? I think he's trying to teach his disciples and these followers something. So you give them something to eat. So what do the disciples do? They immediately started thinking humanly resources. We don't have anything to give them. We find out from one of the other accounts that they had found a young boy with his lunch. Two small fish and five loaves of bread. He didn't pack for a crowd. This was like a happy meal. You know, this was his lunchable for the day. What does Jesus say? Bring it here to me. Isn't it interesting? The disciples, the best thing to come up with, we don't have enough money to feed these people, and we've done a survey of the crowd, 25,000 people. We found one kid that's got something to eat. And that's all we got. We only have this. And what does Jesus say? Bring me what you got. Isn't it interesting? As we learn a little bit more about how God works, what does He ask us to do? Bring what you got. You don't get it and bring it to God. God says, you bring what you got and I'll take care of it. We only have two loaves and fish. Bring them to me. Folks, when we get to the end of ourselves is when God can do the most powerful work. As long as we've got it covered, we don't even turn to God. We don't notice God at work a lot of times. Because why? Because we're taking care of it. God wants to do something that He only gets credit for. So they're in a desolate place with no food. And He says, bring it here to Me. And then He orders the people to sit down. He had not done the miracle yet. He knows what He's going to do, but He starts telling them, just have the people sit. In fact, one of the Gospels accounts, they sat in groups of 50 and groups of hundreds. So Jesus knows what He's going to do, but... If you're one of the disciples and He he says, no, we're going to feed them, have them sit down. You're still thinking, how far is this going to go? I mean, even if we just kind of give everybody a pinch, this isn't going to make it through the first group of 50. Jesus has the crowd sit down. Before the food's ready, they're sitting down. And then looking up to heaven, He blessed the food. Jesus is holding five loaves of bread and two fish and He looks up to heaven picture he's given is, we're talking to God here. Jesus talking to the Father, blesses the food. Now, anybody that hangs out with me at mealtime will know this about me. If you ever ask me to bless the meal, I will tell you that I can't. I've had churches. I I spoke at Blaine not too long ago, and they said, come out and bless the breakfast. I said, I can't do that. It's not going to do any good for me to bless it. I'll ask God to bless it. So this is the only encounter where Jesus can actually bless the food. Why? Because he is God. So I know that's a nitpicking thing. But people that hang out with me know, don't ask me to bless the food. You can ask me to pray for the food and return thanks or ask God to bless it. But how much good is it going to be if I go like, okay, it's blessed. But that's what Jesus does. Why? Because he's God. He blessed the food. And then what happens? Breaking the loaves, he gave it to the disciples who gave it to the crowd. Now, did Jesus have to do it this way? How had God provided food before? For millions of people leaving Egypt, heading toward the promised land, for 40 years in the wilderness, what did He do? He just had it, rain food. Every morning they woke up. There was manna all over the ground, so Jesus could have just dumped it in their lap, cut the disciples out of the process. Why do you think He did it this way? Because He wanted the disciples to see that the way God meets needs in people's lives is through God's people. And so he takes this food. Now, it doesn't tell us how this happened. Did he, give, did he just start breaking the fish and hand it to the disciples and it just kept multiplying as they distributed it? That seems kind of the way it happened. I don't think like a mountain of food showed up and the disciples just kept making return trips. I think they, just the 12 of them, started going through, passing food out, and they didn't run out. At what point do you think the disciples realize this is miraculous. Something's happened here. He didn't just add a little water to the soup. We got fish and bread. And there's enough for thousands of people. Jesus used the disciples to minister to the people. And I just want to say, that's the way he does things now. There are times that God can just show up and do things that are only explained by Him and you are not a part of, but, but a lot of times what God meets needs in people's lives is by using His people to do it. Third thing is Jesus' resources are abundant. Verse 20 says, all were satisfied. The word literally means to gorge. Their supply was abundant told our staff this week we took them to prostors on Tuesday. I said, here's what you do at a buffet. You stand at the end of it and you say, We ain't leaving till we're heaving. <laughs> what that means is you eat all this is all you can eat. So just go for it. Now the problem is they're not much good that afternoon. They've got the food induced coma around one thirty. But these folks were gorged. It wasn't that they took a nibble, folks. Their hunger was fully satisfied. And then what happens? Jesus tells the disciples, pick up the leftovers. Why do you think he wants them to pick up the leftovers? He wants the disciples to see the abundance of God. And isn't it interesting? How many baskets do they have? Twelve. He says to them, go pick up the leftovers, and they come back with 12 baskets full, complete, overflowing. They're having to struggle to keep the food in their basket. Jesus does that because He wanted them to come from this point of saying, all we have is two fish and five loaves. In fact, really, we don't have anything. And Jesus says, bring me what you got. And after He blesses it, not only was it enough to satisfy the need, they had, they had food left over. His resources are abundant. And let me just say, our faith really only matters when we're at the end of our need, we're at the end of ourselves. We're at the point of need where we're at the end of our resources. That's when faith really kicks in and we say, God, you've got to do something I can't do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. His resources are abundant. If you this afternoon were to go and get a bucket of water out of the ocean and bring it over here, first of all, I don't know why you do that, but nobody's going to notice water's missing. That's the picture of the abundance of God. When God gives, He gives out of abundance. And and His resources are never diminished because He's got it all. Just remember, if He can turn two little fish and five loaves of bread into enough food for 25,000 people. And it didn't tax the kingdom of heaven. You know, it wasn't like the next day God going, go, man, I don't know what we're going to do today. That was a a biggie yesterday. We've got to take the week off. Sorry, can't answer any more prayers. No, listen, that didn't put a dent in the resources of God. Because He's able to do miraculous things. So the first thing that we see is that these disciples were learning faith out of need. Do you think they learned the lesson? In fact, one of the gospel accounts, when we get to the next story, says they really didn't get it. They really didn't get the lesson Jesus tried to teach them. Now, they got it later. The disciples were able to look back after three years of ministry with Jesus and realize that's what he's been teaching us this whole time. But now we see learning faith in fear. Let me pick up with this next account, verse 22 of chapter 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves. For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. So the first story we see Jesus teaching faith through need. Here he's going to teach faith even in the midst of fear. Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat. And right after this, he's going to send the crowds away. A couple things I want you to see there. First of all, if he was going to send the crowds away, why didn't he do it when the disciples suggested it earlier in the day? It's because he wanted them to see the feeding of the 5,000. But now he immediately sends the crowd, the the disciples, get in the boat, go meet me on the other side. And then he goes to the crowds and sends them away. And we know from John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 15, here's why he does it. The crowd is about to come and take him by force and make him their king. And it wasn't God's time yet. What were they overwhelmed by? The crowd's thinking, hey, this guy's healed people, and now he's fed all of us. Let's make him king. And so Jesus, knowing it's not time for that yet, gets the disciples away, gets the crowd away, retreats to a mountain by himself, and there he prays. So it's late at night. Scholars think somewhere after 6 o'clock, probably 7 o'clock at night, maybe a little later, it's dark, they get in the boat. I don't know if that's a wise thing on the Sea of Galilee to get in the boat at night, but the disciples, many of them had done this before. In fact, I think this was their comfort zone. When Jesus says, get in the boat, meet me on the other side, there's disciples in that boat saying, we got this. Because they were fishermen. You think they'd ever been around water before? Yeah. So get in the boat. You're going to sail over towards Capernaum. And I'll meet you over there. Then he sends the crowds away. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is not going to let his time come too soon. He had avoided Tiberius probably so he didn't encounter Herod for Herod to speed up the crucifixion. But he also avoided letting the crowds get whipped up into a frenzy by healing miracles and now feeding miracles and install him as king to push the issue with the Roman government. So he's sovereign. It's going to happen in his time. But he's also interceding. What is he doing? The disciples are out in the boat rowing. Jesus is praying. And we know what's about to happen. The disciples are going to encounter a contrary wind. The word contrary literally means opposite. So it means they're trying to go that way, and the wind is blowing them this way. And we know from the timetable, because we're eventually going to get to the fourth watch of the night, which was somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, if they've been rowing from 7 o'clock that night to now 3 or 4 o'clock the next morning, they were struggling. And yet Jesus was interceding for them. Jesus was on a mountain. He couldn't see them at this moment. But Jesus was praying. And I think part of His prayer is not only refreshment for Himself from the Father, but I think He's saying, God, these 12 guys, I really want them to get what it really means to believe. And he's just demonstrated huge power through feeding the 5,000. And he knows what's about to come. And I think Jesus is praying. I pray they get it. And yet, in the midst of their struggle, Jesus is interceding for them. You know, you look at trials differently when you know that Jesus is praying for you. Wouldn't it be neat this week, if, when you encounter your next trial, if you knew somehow Jesus is praying for me. Well, I want you to know He is. 1 John 2, verse 1 says, I've written these things to you so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And Scripture tells us one of the things He's doing right now is interceding before the Father on your behalf. So, It may not be a rowboat that is your issue this week. It may not be contrary winds at sea. It might be. But it may be just contrary winds of life this week. There's probably somebody in this crowd that just got a diagnosis from the doctor that has rocked your world. Or maybe a loved one. Has just gotten a diagnosis that is a storm. And we can't row hard enough against it know this, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. And Jesus is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. So Jesus is interceding for you whether your storm this week is financial or whether it's a relationship or whether it's just physical health issues. Jesus is interceding. He's also present. What's Jesus about to do? Jesus is about to walk on the water. In fact, this occurrence occurs in three of the gospels, so we can learn from some of these other gospels. When the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, it says he was intending to pass them by. He wasn't walking toward the boat. He just he told them meet me over there. So he's walking over there. They see Jesus walking on the water, and what do they do? They freak out. It's a ghost. See, they've been battered by the waves. The word literally means torture. For about eight hours, they had been tortured trying to get this boat to go in a direction the wind was keeping it from going. The wind was contrary. These experienced fishermen were at the end of themselves. They would give out. There's a marsh over here, and sometimes there's actually water in it. I was showing it to somebody this week from Pennsylvania. They didn't know that it went up and down. I said, yeah, right now there's no water in here, but there's times there's so much water you can't even see the grass. Fifteen years ago when I moved here, my son was a lot younger than he is now, and we got in a boat with a little motor on it. But it was a new motor. Actually, it was a new battery, old motor, new battery. We hadn't charged the battery up good enough, so we got in the marsh, went that way, went along Cypress, and then got out in the main channel out here. And that's about the time the battery quit. And so we're paddling, trying to keep from getting sucked out to the sea, because if we just sit still the water, the tide's taking us out. And so we're we're rowing, and about every five minutes I could cut that motor back on, and it would move us a little bit. But the rest of the time we're just paddling just to stay in position. And I'm thinking, what a great teaching opportunity. This is, my son is, you know, we're going to talk about this years from now and say, you remember when this happened? But what he was saying is, call Mama. And I guess I had my cell phone. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking, call Mama. What's she going to do? Hey, watch us out the window. We're heading out to sea. So I finally just said, hey, Robbie, be a man. He said, I don't want to be a man. Now, keep in mind, he was probably like 10 years old at this time. And in case you're wondering, we made We survived. But I'm picturing, that was about an hour that I dealt with a current, with with a battery that only about every five minutes it would move us a little bit. And I knew once we got back to the other, you got out of that main channel, we were going to be okay. But these disciples had probably been battling worse than that for eight hours, and there's 12 of them. They're doing all they can. And now, according to John's Gospel, they're three or four miles offshore. Here comes Jesus, walking on the water. He knew what they were going through. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's between 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. They were terrified. It wasn't bad enough that they're worn out from paddling and not going anywhere. In fact, going the opposite direction. They're terrified and said, it is a ghost. And it's interesting, the normal word for ghost in in the New Testament is the word pneuma, which means current of air, and it's really talking about the Holy Spirit. But here, this is a word that really means phantom. Either something you've imagined or something you're seeing that's this just a phantom image. Well, this wasn't something they were imagining because all 12 of them saw it. And it's also something they didn't imagine because this ghost is about to speak to them. So they cry out in fear, literally with alarm and fright. They cry out. And I don't know if they're crying out to the ghost. Probably they're just saying, ah! And immediately, Jesus speaks. And here's what he says, take courage, literally, be of good cheer. (laughs) And then he said the sweetest words, he said, it is I. And these guys knew the Old Testament. When Moses asked God, what's your name? God says, go down to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, who did I tell them sent me? Remember what God says? You tell them I am. And the Hebrew mind, they knew that refers to God. So when Jesus said, it is I, they knew it's God, it's Jesus. He says, take courage. And he says, do not be afraid. He's about to calm the storm at sea, but here he calms the storm within. And he says, don't be afraid. Have good courage. It's I. And folks, I guarantee you that was comforting words for the disciples at that moment. The storm still hadn't stopped. But at least they knew Jesus is here. And for some of you this week, that is going to be the word of comfort that God gives you this week. I'm here. I haven't left you alone. I know exactly what you're going through. I'm here. In fact, I want to encourage you this week. Speak to that issue that's going on in your life just to say, God's here. God's right by me. He has not abandoned me. He's not left me alone. God is here. And then even better than that, Jesus is all-powerful. Peter says, if it is you. And I don't think it was one of those, well, if it's you, prove it. I think Peter's saying, since it's you, speak the word, I want to come to you. As bad as it was in the boat, I don't know what the waves were like that Peter was seeing between him and Jesus, but he said, if you just give the word, I can come to you. Command me to come to you. And so Jesus says, come. One word, come. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. We don't know how far he got from the boat. I think he got a little ways away from the boat. But what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus. And what is he seeing? The waves were still there. The wind they'd been battling for all night long, it was still there. And I don't know why Peter didn't think, hey, this is working. Just keep looking. But he got distracted. He started looking at what was going on around him, and he starts to sink. One of the things we do when we go to Israel is we'll, we'll have a worship time out on the Sea of Galilee. We get in a boat, 30 of us, 40 of us, get on a boat, go out, sing, we get out in the middle of the lake, and we just cut the motor off. And we have a worship service. And so I think about this story when I'm out there. And when I'm reading this story, I'm thinking about being out there. I've been four times on that lake, and only one time did this occur. I'm pretty sure it was the Sabbath. We're out there having our worship service, and all of a sudden a ski boat comes up, and a guy's skiing behind it. I thought, kind of breaks the mood just a little bit. But I thought, he ain't barefooting. That's what Jesus was doing. Maybe sandals. But Jesus is walking across the water and Peter is called out to join him and he starts walking. But as soon as he gets distracted by the wind and the waves, he starts to sink. And what does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. See, That's what Jesus came to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the word immediately occurs several times in this short passage. But as soon as Peter calls out, Lord, save me, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And he takes him back to the boat. But here's what he says on the way. You of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about faith. He's trying to teach them about believe in. In me, understand who you're dealing with. I'm God. I'm able to flex huge muscles. But Peter still hadn't got it. Neither had the rest of the disciples. And Jesus says, why is your face still so small? Why are you doubting? For one thing, Peter, why were you doubting? You were on the water. Why did he doubt? Same reason we doubt. We start seeing the things of this world and somehow think they're bigger than God. We make a mountain out of a molehill which if we could see from God's perspective, it's all mobile. I just want you to remember that this week when you go through a trial. If it doesn't happen this week, it's coming, trust me. The perspective we need to have is, why would I doubt God, who's not only able, but most of us could stand up today and give testimony of time after time where God did it. But we're just kind of like the disciples. Oh, you of little faith. Why do you doubt? It's interesting to me that that, that issue does not occur in, in Mark's gospel. It occurs in Matthew, and, it's, and I think it's in John. No, it's in Luke. Matthew and Luke tells about Peter walking on the water. What's interesting to know, Mark spent a lot of time with Peter. If you read the book of Acts, John Mark traveled with Peter. That's who wrote the book of Mark. So either Peter decided, I ain't telling him that part. Because Mark tells, tells about the storm at sea. He just never mentions that Peter's out on there. But, or it could be that Mark thinks, you know, Peter's my friend. I'm not going to include that part in my story. Either way, it's, it's omitted. But you know what? Mark includes so many other things that were embarrassing to Peter. And this one had to be. For Peter to hear from Jesus, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Have you learned nothing from what I did feeding the 5,000? Did you not learn anything from the fact I've been walking on the water? Y'all been out here for hours? I've caught up with you. And it's interesting. As soon as they get back to the boat and get in the boat, what happens? The wind stops. Earlier, there's another encounter where Jesus is in the boat. And that's interesting. Jesus is trying to grow their faith. So back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in the boat with them when they encounter the storm. All they had to do is wake Him up. Now they encounter a storm. Jesus is not there. And Jesus is trying to grow their faith. Hey, I was with you last time. This time I'm not going to be with you, but I'm coming. Get back in the boat. The wind stops. The literal meaning is it tires. It relaxes. And what do they do? They worship Him. Here's what all the disciples say. Certainly. This is the Son of God. They were beginning to get it. Men and women, the encouragement for us this week is Jesus is the Son of God. We have access to the throne room of God. So, regardless of what goes on in your life this week, it may be tomorrow, it may be five days from now. And it may be about a person, it may be about a sickness. Whatever it is, our immediate response is, take it to God. If He can feed 5,000, He can feed you. If He can calm a storm at sea, He can calm a storm in your heart. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank You that that's the truth. Thank You that You taught us so much, not just through words, but action. So, God, it's great that that happened 2,000 years ago, but, Lord, apply it to our life. And it may not be this week that we're hungry and we need supernatural food, but, Lord, we're hungry spiritually. We need you to feed us. And, God, I would trust that everybody in this room, whether they're going through a storm now or a week from now, God, we need to know that you're there and that you are able. And so we thank you that that's the truth. In Christ's name.